Hi, everyone, and welcome back to How to College for First Gens, our podcast where we get together with fellow first-generation college students to talk about their journey to and through college. My name is Norma Torres Mendoza, and I am happy to be back with you all in February of 2022 which is also the beginning of Black History Month. So today we are happy to kick off Black History Month with a really good friend of mine, Lillian. We went to college together, and today we will have a very honest discussion about some habits that first-generation college students might form in their trajectory due to stress, um, due to a lot of pressure, sometimes inflicted upon ourselves, We'll talk a little bit about some habits that I developed in college that were not very good, and then we will wrap up the conversation with how to change those habits because it is never too late to begin a new journey, a healthy journey, and we'll talk about how to sustain those habits because for many of us, it's really easy to begin those habits, but it's really hard to sustain them over the long term. And then lastly, we'll talk about the why. Why is it important that first-generation college students take care of their mental health, their well-being, their physical health, and some very practical strategies on how you can implement that. So let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I am great, Norma. Thanks for having me on. What an honor. So for the audience to just get a little bit of background, Lillian and I, we actually went to college together, but I do not want to steal your thunder. I would love for you to tell the audience a bit about yourself, where you grew up, anything you want to share. Hi, everybody. I know listening to a podcast podcast can be kind of fun and interesting and kind of new guests that come on. But my name is Lillian Nawara. I'm a registered dietitian. I'm a personal trainer, and I'm also a diabetes educator. In English, that just means I help people with their health, um, either on the food or fitness side. Like Norma mentioned, I remember us vividly in college. And we went to Rice University, same college that I remember, like same building, same dorm. Um, and so we kind of spent had some mutual friends. And that's how I really got to know Norma. She was always doing them a lot, a lot of awesome things. <laughs> I just remember Norma like not sleeping very often, but getting stuff done. And, and um... Which is terrible, right? And we will talk about that. we'll talk about sleep but but i right and i think a lot of people who achieve great things sometimes life can be like that right whether you're a college student whether you're first time you know at your first corporate gig or maybe you're a seasoned entrepreneur whatever that may be sometimes kind of getting your health in order is something that definitely does need to be addressed at some point in our health and wellness journey. And so I, you know, met, like I said, met Norma in college at Rice, went off to grad school and studied to be a dietitian um, at UT Southwestern Medical Center, did well there. It was an awesome experience. Um, And then went off to kind of work in the world of nutrition uh, from anywhere from you know, an endocrinologist office, which is diabetes, all the way to industry, like at an actual company. And they do did a lot with physicians and everything. And now I kind of work in the preventative health space, which is a wonderful topic for today because we're talking about habits. And that's what I get to talk about almost every single day. So here we are. I love it. So tell us a little bit about you growing up. So tell me, where did you grow up? Uh, Where did you go to middle school, high school? And then how did you first learn you were going to be among the first ones in your family to go to college? I guess I should 
I'll start from the beginning. I um, grew up in London for most of my childhood, actually, till I was 10, and then moved to, to Houston, Texas. And I went to middle school uh, at Kip Academy Middle Schools, charter school in Houston. Then from there, I went to the Kincaid School, which is a memorial, also in Houston, a private school. And then I went to Rice University, where uh, me and Norma really, really met, I feel like. Um, and then you asked about college. So actually, now that I think about it, I guess my parents actually have been to college. So I guess I'm not really, sadly, a first gen, exactly. But in this country, yes, right? Like we are, my my siblings and I are the first in this country to kind of go through the American school system, of course, here. So my parents are immigrants from the country of Nigeria, which is West Africa. So uh, my dad's actually a trained physician and my mom is a nurse as well. But of course, when you come to this country, you got to start from the beginning. Americans like American things, okay? So, so it doesn't matter what kind of education you have, they, they did kind of have to start over. And so um, my siblings and I did begin school here, college for the first time, you know, doing FAFSA. They have no idea the questions we're asking them, right? All of these things. And so that is kind of a little bit about my educational background. Yeah. And just so you know, Lillian, actually, a lot of our listeners are first generation to go to school here in the U.S. And we we consider that a first generation college student in the U.S. because, as you mentioned, the system is completely different. And so oftentimes parents actually don't know how to help. You know, like my mom who has a third grade education, it's a very similar experience. You're right. They don't know about FAFSA. And a couple of our hosts are actually the first ones in their families to go to college here in the U.S. as well. So for all technicalities, you are a first-gen U.S. educated. Absolutely. And that, and that is true. And that is true. So, so yeah, you're right. It does take, it's different, right? Just like if when we have kids at some point, if that's what God wants, right, it will be a different kind of climate, but at least we've kind of gone through it. So, of course, it is a little bit different. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. So let's take a little bit of um, the topic here. I would love to know, growing up, was health a priority for you? So like, as you were going through this very rigorous academics, right? So you mentioned KIPP, which is very hard. You mentioned Kincaid and then Rice University. Were you always prioritizing sort of what you ate, that you exercised, that you got enough sleep? Or at what point did it hit like, wait a minute, this kind of really matters to me? That's a great question. I would say yes and no. I have always been quite active. Um, When I look back at like childhood photos and certain things, I do recall generally being at a healthy weight. There's so many pictures of me just like doing fun things, like acrobatic type things. Played soccer for many years, ran track and cross country for many years, you know, college scholarship to run track at Rice. And so, you know, even now I do a lot of athletic things, right? Like many of us may do now, but yes, I think that yes and no. And the no is just that it wasn't like I was pushed to be extra healthy. I never witnessed my mom like do Weight Watchers or anything or never, you know what I mean? Or I never, um, it wasn't like this big push of like, my parents are always taking us to sporting events or anything like that. Quite honestly, the no is that they kind of frowned upon some of that being a time grab for me. I remember when I was in college at Rice, a lot of the time it was like, 
my parents are Nigerian. So it was like, you need to focus on this, your studies. You need to be reading your book. Not all this running, running, running. Like that literally was what my parents would tell me, honestly, many, many times. Like you're coming to the end of your thing. You know, you need to, you need to buckle up. <laughs> and I just remember being like, okay. And you know, I loved sports. So it was always kind of a give and take there because I enjoyed it. Health was a part of, and did become honestly a large part of my life. But I don't think that I was really fully encouraged fully to go pursue it head on. So then how did you, come to track because being a an athlete at a top university and it's a division one right I mean the rigor the discipline that goes along with it always amazes me so so how did you come to love running and and how did you get your parents then sort of on board that this was part of your identity I think it's probably started in middle school I remember back in middle school at KIPP just being faster than the boys <laughs> for some reason, like in, in in little things. I mean, maybe not all the boys, obviously, right? But there was a time when it was like, wow, she's really fast. <laughs> and um, as, as fun as that is, I think coaches can see some potential in some athletes. And I remember, you know, wearing these ill-fitting jerseys back in the day. I didn't have any money for, you know, fancy cleats or spikes or anything at the time. And I remember the PE teacher at the time, I think his name was Mr. Hernandez. And I remember him finding some Rydell you know, spikes from who knows where they found them. But that's what I used to compete for one of my first kind of track meets back in the day. And I wore those and I was pretty fast. And uh, from there, it was like, okay, I'm kind of good at this. And I think at a young age, finding something you're good at across the board can be really empowering, whether that's computers, tech, whether that's music, whether that's sports, I think just finding something that you're good at can be really empowering. And so I found that and from middle school went ahead and, you know, went to Kincaid for high school and played soccer and, and track and uh, cross country and just kind of stemmed from there a natural, somewhat of a natural talent, I would suppose. But of course you need to, you need to cultivate natural talent, right? Otherwise it's just raw and unrefined. So having some good coaches at a private school definitely helped. And so that helped me propel my career. Won a few state, cha- won one state championship actually um, in high school. And that really kind of propelled my track career into college and, and beyond. That's amazing. I mean, congrats. So tell me a little bit about how you define a healthy lifestyle. Maybe how did you define it in college? And if that has changed now that you are, you were like nine years out from college. <laughs> um, so has that changed? Great question. And so the real answer is that a healthy lifestyle will depend and differ on you, the individual. Okay, that's the real answer. So if anyone tells you healthy lifestyle is this, this and that, Well, you know, you can tell them, well, thank you and thank you for your opinion. But truly, it will depend because everyone is different. However, there are some hard and fast rules that I do think lend itself to longevity down the line, you know, less stress, improved lab results, right? You know, just your your health in general, right? I think we can agree on a few things. So I'll share a few of those. But in college, did I have a healthy lifestyle in college? I mean, I think that as a student athlete, it is a full-time job. We are working out for almost three to four hours, uh, or at least two to four on a daily basis almost, with competition, which is lengthy, right? And you're exerting yourself, et cetera. So I think in college, I did have what most would consider a healthy lifestyle. We're working out several times a day. Um, it was six, six times a week for, you know, many hours as needed. And then on the flip side, we are eating, you know, all the often. And I, 
you know, there's sometimes I think that I could have improved my eating looking back, actually. As a dietitian now, there are many times I'm thinking, how did I make it through any of these meats? Like, I barely was eating. Like, what was I doing? What kind of energy did I have? Anyway, uh, but looking back, hindsight's always 2020. But I think with adequate exercise, we had a great recovery team. So as you notice in sports from collegiate level to professional, there's a wonderful recovery team. There's athletic trainers, there's um, massages or chiropractic care, right? All of these things that if in your regular life, you have to maybe try and find and pay for, right? So that you can kind of keep yourself up and going. But I think that in college, I would say I had a decently healthy lifestyle, but being an athlete definitely helps with that, I think. And then what has changed? I think the second part of that question was like, you know, what has changed now? And I think that um, being out of college, being married, being in many jobs, it it is tricky, but it's definitely doable. And you start to see why it makes sense. You know, you start to really appreciate the years of, you know, I'm glad I kind of went to bed at a decent time. I'm glad I kind of have been active all my life because now in your tw- late 20s, mid 20s, 30s and beyond, you start to really appreciate and you realize whether we're first generation or not, you cannot buy health. Okay. You just cannot buy health. So it doesn't matter how much money we make now, tomorrow or, or in the next five years, your health is very, very important. The habits you form, whether that's in college, just shortly after will really serve you for the, for the long haul. And I really want to leave that with our listeners that um, that's super, super important. I love that quote because you're 100% right. We, we cannot buy health. But let's talk a little bit about the, the college aspect of it. So if you had to name one to three habits that we should be cultivating at a young age, right? Like if there is an 18-year-old listening to us right now who just completed their first semester in college, what one to three things do you think they should be checking off their list in order to make this journey long lasting? Because it is four long years. The college student, man, those years were glorious and also a little stress-filled. <laughs> but um, the three things I would leave our audience with is this. Number one, your nutrition. You're talking to a registered dietitian, right? I'm a registered dietitian nutrition, so I'm a little bit biased. However, your nutrition is immensely important. For the remainder of your life, you're going to be eating. (laughs) And if you're not eating, right, because maybe there's an eating disorder or a disordered eating pattern, that's an issue too. So I think your nutrition is one of the best habits you can cultivate now between the ages of 18 and 21, because they're going to serve you for the rest of your life, especially our female and male audience. I mean, our female audience specifically, because if you have a desire to be a mom or, or just, you know, be married potentially one day to be eligible, you do have to kind of think about your health, right? Because men are, and you, and just in general, how you portray yourself, like those are very, very important things. And specifically as I'm going to use pregnancy and childbirth, right? I'm going to just hop on this real quick. You do need to be in decent health and to be eating the right things to have a wonderful conception process, right? Meaning that you conceive and it's a good process, right? For you, it's healthy. And I'm using that example because your nutrition really does matter. Are we at a healthy weight as we do that? A lighter weight or slightly overweight? That can kind of impact health costs down the line, right? Of or certain things. So I do think just in general nutrition. So are you studying late? Are you eating late as you study? <laughs> what are those snacks? You know, are they Cheetos or are they something else, right? It doesn't matter, but but your eating habits do do really serve you for the long run. So number one is mine were Cheetos, Lily. Mine were Cheetos. <laughs> no, 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 no offense on Cheetos or Cheez-Its or crackers or whatever, right? Or energy drinks. But it was it was terrible terrible right yeah right i think back to like what i did when i was 18 19 and everything you're saying right now i checked it off right i 
I did the Cheetos. I did the energy drink. And very similarly, I now think back and I'm like, what what kind of consequences did this have long term? Am I ever going to make up all that sleep that I lost and all the terrible things that I put in my body? But the beautiful thing about health is, right, like while we may look back and say, oh, man, I could I could have done this better and that better and I could have slept better. All the, you know, here's a here's the beautiful thing is. With health and any other habit, you can make a decision to change, right? That's really the beautiful thing about health and what differentiates one college student from the next is the decision to change and to make your health be better in the future. So even if maybe you are not on a meal plan and you're kind of struggling to kind of pay for your meals right now, or maybe you are on a meal plan, but eating all the things because everything just looks awesome, (laughs) right? Whatever that may be, it's okay, right now, you know, figure it out, do the best you can, but start to learn, right? So you asked me three things. Number one, start to learn a little bit more about nutrition. While you are there, use one of your credit hours to take a nutrition course. At Rice, it was called Health 103. I ended up teaching that class as a teaching TA, actually. And I would recommend taking a nutrition class, please. So you can learn the fundamentals of how you can eat for yourself and for your future, okay? Whether that be future alone, future with a family, et cetera, okay? That's number one. And then number two, And of course, well, secondly, if you have some struggles with food and maybe, you know, you're struggling with maybe disordered eating patterns, then it might be helpful for you to kind of figure, learn a little bit more about that. And at least with a nutrition class, hopefully taught by a registered dietitian or a PhD, they can at least link you to uh, resources if you need that. Okay. Secondly is movement. Okay. So I, I do remember at Rice, we have this huge quad academic quad that kind of links all of the teaching specialties. And some people had bikes, some people walked, some people had you know, Vespas or whatever, right? Or cars, right? So learn to move a little bit more, okay? So if you are someone who only schedules all your classes at like this one block and so you could just walk a little bit and you go home and you never do anything outside of your walking to class, friend, listen, listen, you might want to book some activity time, okay? And I mean, go look at your local rec on campus if they have one. If you are fancy and you want to, if you live off campus or something and you want to get a gym there or you want to find a trail or maybe there's a nice path on your campus. You know, Rice has a, has a, has a beautiful, we call it the, the inner and outer loop, right? Where we, it's a gravel path. And see if your campus has some outdoor space so you can participate. The other thing is maybe consider intramural sports, right? I was a professional, I mean, a, a um, collegiate athlete. So I was linked to that. You know, I had activity daily. But if not, maybe consider intramural things that you can be a part of, okay? Um, and then beyond that, if you're out of college, listen, there's a lot of fun things you can do to kind of stay active because I really think movement can really help manage your weight, keep it out of place and also keep things moving so that we don't have prevention. So we don't have issues like high blood pressure, diabetes, strokes, cancers, and the like. Okay. So movement is a really big part of that. And for some people, it can help them eat better. And then the last thing is if you're in college, I really want to emphasize managing the stress and sleep that you're getting or lack thereof. (laughs) So really think about how to manage some of those. I know sleep can be kind of tricky for some people, even in adulthood, but kind of managing those two, I think can be really helpful. Here's some guidelines or some principles. Average sleep recommendation is from seven to nine hours a night. Of course you can manage on far less. (laughs) People have done it, right? 
But is it adequate? No. And there are some long-term complications from some of that. Somnia, of course, having difficulty sleeping, you know, maybe taking all-night classes or something like that. Like there's some things that kind of are tricky, but they can be managed and overcome. So really managing stress and sleep is going to be very important. So those are my top three. One, nutrition. Two is movement. And three is um, stress and sleep. Okay. So those are my three. Yeah. So let's dig into the movement piece for a second, because I I don't think I, I knew this and I learned this until many years later. Movement is is and can be so much fun. Like I could go take a Zumba class. I could go play tennis. I could even do golf. I've become an avid runner now, right? I never knew that I liked those things because one, I never made the time for them. And then two, I don't know that I knew other people that looked like me that were going through similar things as I was going. You know, I was like, oh, there's no way I'm going to go and spend four hours running when I could be spending four hours studying for this test because if I don't do well, I'm going to fail. And there goes all of my mom's dreams and all of my family's dreams, right? Like this, this were literally the thoughts that would be in my head when I was in college, right? Every test matter. I needed to, I needed to graduate because there was so much weight on, on my shoulders, right? Of being the first one to do this without realizing that had I taken those three hours to go run, four hours to train for my marathon, I would have been a better student. And I don't think I ever made that connection, right? I thought I must sit here for hours and hours at this library and study without thinking that my health is more than than just being like this this one student, you know, just academics all the way. You know, here, here's the thing, like there are pillars of your wellness and well-being that are really pivotal. So if you ever talk to anyone about, you know, food and nutrition and habits, we're going to kind of open up a, a conversation about, well, what is wellness, right? What does that mean? Whether you're in college, out of college, et cetera. And there's usually a few foundational elements of that. One of which is, of course, physical or movement, right? Your your movement and physical wellness. There's obviously emotional wellness and well-being. We talked on nutrition a little bit. That's a huge part of your wellness. There's also financial wellness, right? Of kind of how financially fit are you, right? And I know that's a tricky topic of conversation, especially in general for some people. There's, of course, intellectual, spiritual, and social wellness and well-being. And so these are some things that come into place because if you're really tapped into your intellectual side and you're making sure that you're well-rounded and that you're astute and learned, right? Some of these other aspects of your well-being will likely suffer, okay? So this is why you just, it's kind of, it's a tricky thing, but it's something that you just have to keep working at it and working at it and making sure that you can address each and every one of these. And oftentimes what you'll realize as we grow, right, is when one basket is super full, usually some other baskets are kind of lacking. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you'll find that people who are super fit, like Instagram people, whatever, or, you know, influencers are really pretty, all this kind of, or really handsome, et cetera. But you notice maybe their money is not right. Okay. Their money is funny. Right. So, so maybe they're putting a persona of glamour and, 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 and looking awesome, but maybe their emotional health isn't great. You, you guys know that mental health has been a huge trending topic for many years now, but it's not even trendy. It's really a facet of your health right? Emotional health, mental health, it's just a facet of your health in general. So you're right. I mean, you could be a much better student, entrepreneur, mom, you know, dad and and whatever, but when we really work on some of these aspects of our health in general. Absolutely. And then the uh, the third thing you mentioned was monitoring stress levels. And I think that a lot of our first gens, very similar to sort of what I went through, add in a layer of of stress of, can I actually do this, right? 
I'm among the first ones. I have so much writing on this. So what are some tips or, or some techniques that you would give our first-gen students with that stress level? Because I, I actually think, and I, I don't have studies to back up what I say, but I, I actually think that stress hits first-gens in a very different way. College is hard, period, right? But being the first just adds another layer of can I actually do this? I agree. There's a lot of some some may say un, unwarranted pressure that we may face, right? Kind of like I'm the first doing this. Oh my goodness, like if I don't make it, like will anyone make it? All these people are looking up to me, my theas and them, they like were so excited for me. They gave me money for graduation. Like I need to make it. Like it's it's rough, right? It's rough. You know? And some of it is community and cultural pressures and of course the ones we put on ourselves. So here are some things that I think can go beyond college that you can use as far as stress management. Number one, and this is something I wish I would have taken better advantage of when I was in college, um, is just using your on-campus counseling centers if they have that. I knew Rice had something like that. I never tapped into it. So if you have a center or something of that nature on your campus where there's licensed professional counselors, maybe there's a social work program or a counseling program at your university or something like that, Um, please take advantage of those. And if you're in the workplace, most workplaces will have what we call EAP, which is typically employee assistance program. It's typically free usually, but again, they can link you up with counselors or therapists in your local zip code area. Okay. And so the whole premise of that is, listen, sometimes we can't do this by ourselves. And it's really helpful to have accountability and someone to bounce off some of these pressures and worries and concerns that we may be dealing with and keep us up at night, right? So number one is utilizing that if you have it. As far as stress goes, here are maybe three things I usually tell my clients. One, take an audit of your stressors. In English, that just means figure out what in the world is stressing you out. So if you're a student, it may be school. It may be a person you're dating. It could be you know, financial worries. Like, can I pay for next semester? I may not be able to be a full-time enrolled because I got to do 10 hours and not, you know what I mean? Like there are a lot of issues, but figure out what is stressing you out. Number two, think about, okay, what has worked in the past for me? So if it is, you know, school stress, maybe going on a walk has helped, right? Or maybe talking with your grandma, because when you talk to her and you hear her voice, it just really reminds you like, it's going to be okay. It's fine. Right. Or maybe it's unhealthy things in college, like going to party and, you know, forgetting the next, I mean, that's not why I do not recommend, right? Do not do, but Figure out what healthy things actually do help you move forward, okay? And then now we have to figure out how to implement some of those, right? You figured out what's stressing you out. You figured out what generally has helped you in the past. Now we've got to figure out how to implement them. And I know this can be tricky because the test is coming up. You don't feel like you have time to go run, like Norma mentioned, or you don't feel like you have time to call your grandma or whatever, right? But we do need to carve out that time because even though that time could be spent studying or doing whatever else is stressing you out, We do need to invest in your recovery. And some of that is very, very valuable. It is time well spent, okay? So really consider doing that. And then the last but not least, sometimes I do tell my clients or my patients to kind of think about rating their stress on a scale of one to 10. So you can figure out, is this level 10 for me? Or is this kind of like a four or three or four, four, you know? Like how stressful is this for me? So that that way you can start to kind of figure out, am I overreacting or is this really general everyday stress and I just need to improve and guilt and build some more resilience. Or if everything is always level 10, it tells you that you probably do need to start getting help, right? And so that's why I have my clients do something like that. One, figure out what's stressing you out. Two, 
um, what has worked in the past. Three, actually trying to implement that, finding the time investment to, for your recovery. And then four, kind of ranking it on a scale of one to 10. One being not that stressful, 10 being very stressful. So that that way you can start to have a pattern of what you do, how you respond and how to fix it going forward. I think this is such a great strategy that I will be implementing in my life because work can be very stressful. And sometimes I'm like, but this doesn't matter, right? Or like, is this really that important? So definitely we'll use it. Um, so in the last minutes here, I think that all this information is so wonderful. And I think as the year begins, everybody has these goals, right? Like I'm going to eat healthier. I'm going to move more. I'm going to be less stressed. How do we sustain it? Because I think starting is very easy. Sustaining it is the hard part. And then if you could embed in there the why. At the end of the day, why does this matter? Why does it matter that I'm going to eat healthy? Why does it matter that I move, that I monitor my stress levels? The Sort of the so what? I'm going to ask you a question real quick. Why do you think that it could be it's easy to start? I heard you say, oh, it's easy to start. It's the consistency. Tell me about why you think that is. Yeah, definitely. I think that as the new year begins, right? I think everybody kind of has those goals, you know, losing weight, you, you name it, right? And I think that the enthusiasm sort of begins to fade as we begin the February, the March, right? It, it is the habit building, I think is sort of what's the hard piece for most of us, including myself. Sometimes it can be easy to start specifically around the holidays and into the new year, there is this large catalyst of it's a new year, it's a new me, fresh leaf, I'm going to do this, right? And people have these amazing goals because they're reflecting on the past year and maybe aspects of areas they want to improve on. So I do agree that there is this catalyst initially in January that people want to have a change, usually possibly for the positive, right? However, you're right. Yes, in February, March, it definitely wanes. And places like gyms take full advantage of that because they know that the excitement and enthusiasm does wear off, but they got your $20, you know, gym gym fee, right? Because of your, they got you in the initial excitement period. So what do we do when that excitement wears off, right? And, the, and that catalyst of the new year kind of fades away and we're kind of dealt, dealing with the catastrophe of, I don't really want to work out. It kind of sucks, right? So what do we do with that and why does it matter? So here's the deal. This is where in health and wellness, we talk about intrinsic and extrinsic motivators. There's a level of digging deep to figure out why in the world does this matter? And you can do the same with your health. You can do the same with your college education as well and in our careers, right? Like, why am I at this job? Like, why do I care to like open my computer every day at eight o'clock and like, you know, log in and check my email? Like, why do I care to like spend that extra hour studying at the library when my eyes are already closing and I just want to go back to my room on my blanket? Like, you know, the why? So intrinsic motivators, just like the word implies, implies that you look inward inside, right? You're kind of digging deeper, unpeeling the onion, so to speak, the layers of the onion for why this matters. And so I usually have my clients and patients kind of go through an exercise called exposing the lies, where you kind of think about why do I feel maybe some limiting beliefs or certain things about why I can't work out or why my activity doesn't matter or why do I care about my health? Really exposing some of those limiting beliefs that are stopping you from going forward. Why do I stop in February? Why can't I go to March and April? Like what's getting in the way of it? And really dig deeper, right? And look inward to figure out, well, what maybe some prompting questions could be, what bothers you about your health right now? 
when you go upstairs, are you winded all the time? Does that bother you? Does it bother you that maybe you want to get married and you're not, and you're trying to, you've been trying to look flat and fine? <laughs> you know, maybe that is a motivator for some people, right? When they look, it may, it's kind of an external motivator, but inward, you have to think about that. Like, why has it been so hard for me though, right? So really think about some of those questions. And then of course, the second part of habit stacking is, is sometimes what we call it, is you do need to get started, okay? So again, make a decision. There's a reason why you went to college and someone else in your high school did not, right? Many reasons, but maybe you really made the decision, I am going for me and my family, I'm gonna be the, the, the trailblazer here. So some of it is just making a decision. Once you've made the decision, now you gotta think about consistency, right? And so this is what we call baby steps or just habit stacking. So think about how to break it down. For some people, I'm gonna run three miles every day. They get so excited first of the year. And then February, I'm kind of tired. I don't know if I want to do that no more. And then they stop. But for some people, it may just be, I'm just going to walk into the gym every day. For some people, you need to break down your goals so that they're bite-sized for you, right? Because remember, for some people, I'm going to walk into the gym every day. That doesn't mean they're going to do three miles. They could just walk in and walk right out and they've, they've accomplished something right? But let's be honest, the way gas prices are, you're going to walk in and probably do something, right, friend? You're not just going to walk in there, you see this guy, like $3 again? No, we're going to walk in there and do something, okay? So that, so, but you need to know yourself. Do you, do you need to be the kind of person who's like, I'm just going to walk in the gym today because you know that you're going to, you know, just seeing the people, you put on the cute outfit, you're going to do something. Other people, they do need to set a goal that's a little bit maybe numerical of I'm going to do two miles every day, or at least I'm going to do two miles three times a week. Because you know it, you could maybe do four, but you want to be successful. So you set a goal for three. And for those people, either way, I usually I tell my clients to get a tracker. So I, you know, I'm a business owner also. And so one of the things I do is I have a habit tracker for my clients and I have them check off either digitally or on you know, pen to paper. I prefer pen to paper actually for your brain. It really does solidify things just to check it off. Because in a 30-day month, you can see, oh, I really did go to the gym 23 times. Or you went three times. And I think that's really helpful for some people, okay? It's so satisfying, right? Like to check something off my list, to highlight it, right? Like I did my five miles. Like I, today I ran 21 miles. There's nothing that compares to that feeling of that highlighter going across those 21 miles. All the pain is gone just for that one second. <laughs> and I know there's some people who that kind of scares them. That kind of intimidates them. I failed before. You know, I get planners, I only use January and they throw it away, right? And, and I know that can be kind of intimidating for some people. So you want to break it down and make it bite-sized. And that's something that a good coach or a good accountability buddy, right? Or a good friend who's not like you, right? In that way can really help you to do, but break it down. You know yourself. Are you the person who just needs to be, I'm going to walk in the gym or are you going to be like, I'm going to do two miles every day. You need to figure out what kind of person you are so you can break it down. And eventually um, you, can, you can improve it and, and expand on that. The last part of your question was like, why does that matter though? Like, why why is everyone running to the gym <laughs> to the gym in January? Like, who cares, right? Here's the deal, and we've talked about this before, and I mentioned it is that you cannot buy health. I don't. My, I don't matter if you go to community college, you go to the you know the you know Ivy leagues like Norma and many others, right? It doesn't matter. The thing is, you cannot buy your health, and you start to learn that as you age. And so, one of the things is, while you are young in your twenties. This is a or more or thirties and beyond. This is a wonderful time to really start to form habits that will serve you for a lifetime. And I know when you're 18, 19, 20, who cares? I'm young. I can eat all the things, do all the things. Who cares? But friend, let me tell you, listen in, okay? Turn the volume up a little bit. 
your metabolism will catch up with you, okay? <laughs> and so it's very important that we're actually establishing these habits because when you're 30 and 40, you're going to say, well, when I was 20, I could do this. It was no problem. But here's the deal. It's showing up as a problem now, right? So we want to make sure that we're pre- preventing these things because like Norma said earlier, the statistics do not lie for, for you know minority communities and non-minority communities, right? For certain health issues. And so while that may not be, it may seem very far off, right? You know, that you know, I'm never going to have that. We want to make sure that you never have that friend. And that's why we really are emphasizing taking time now to work on nutrition. Take a class if you're in college. If you're a grown up, find a course or something that you can take so you can build on that. Hire a dietitian, hire a coach so you can start to learn some of these skills. Number two, work on movement. Figure out how you can move a little bit more, right? If you're fancy, you have a Garmin or an iWatch or anything, you can track your steps and your movement. That is supposed to help you to move more, okay? That's why it buzzes when you haven't stood up or done anything. It's there to kind of push you to form a habit of exercise. And then lastly, working on um, stress and sleep. Very, very important. Stress is like a silent killer, guys. And so it's really, really important to make sure that we're managing our stress levels as best we can, that we're getting help when we need it, and that we're sleeping to what is needed for our our lives and what it requires. Your answer was super comprehensive. And what I loved about it was that I think the why oftentimes is different for every person. And the most important thing is, is, as you mentioned, to peel peel back that onion and say, okay, why is it that I that I care that I am here longer and healthier, right? And and for me, it's very much about like taking care of my mom, making sure that like I live an active lifestyle so that I am here and one day maybe be a mother and, you know, do all the fun activities that I like to do because it, it's not going to help if all I do is work, have the money to do things, but then don't have the health to be able to pair them up. Exactly. And here's the thing, if you're going to be first gen, and you've taken all this time, all this effort to get to college and beyond. And if you don't make it to be able to share your story, then what was part of what was that part of what was that all for then to some extent, right? If you're not healthy enough to share your story with the next upcoming generation because you're unhealthy or you can't go to the high school to talk on career day or you can't, you know, you smoke and you can't, you know, have good lung capacity to be on a podcast like this, then to share your story about how you overcame as a first gen. So then what was the, what was some of the point of that? Right. So we want to make sure that you can really like, like Norma was saying, like really take the time um, and really start to think about, man, my health is kind of important, you know, and here are some things I can do to change some of that and just start small. Please don't let this be this big, scary thing. Okay. Um, I always like to tell my patients and people just start small, small changes go a long, long way. I love it. Small changes, but continue them on. Right. Start them, keep on going, and remember the why. And I think the why, as you mentioned, will help you continue with that habit building. You have been phenomenal and so generous with your time. We want to thank you so, so much. And are you open if our audience wants to reach out to you via social media in case somebody might want a consultation? How can they reach you? Absolutely. Great question. You guys can reach me uh, on the website or on my social media. On Instagram, it's Dresses and Dumbbells. And then on website, it's just LillianShepherd.com. L-I-L-I-A-N, Shepherd, S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D.com. Perfect. And we'll link all of that to our website as well. Uh, thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Great answers. And I hope that it helps a lot of our first gens out there. You're so welcome. Thank you, Norma. Well, that's it, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in today. 
we hope that as February kicks in, some of you who perhaps started a goal in January but have not been able to keep it up, reanalyze the whys. And for those of you that are going back to your second, third semester of college, I hope that you also took away some really important lessons on why it's so important to build habits that will allow you to live a healthy and sustainable life. Because at the end of the day, as Lillian mentioned, what is it worth if we don't have the health to be able to live the kind of life that we want to live? So with that, we have kicked off our February Black History Month. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you share it in social media and with a friend who you think might find this information useful and beneficial to their well-being. Until next time.